This is session 182 of the Scanner School Podcast. Today we are talking about skip ducting and propagation, how this happens, why this happens, and when you can expect it, and what it means for you as a scanner radio user. Again, all session notes from today's podcast can be found on our website at scannerschool.com slash session 182. Today's podcast is sponsored by our two brand new training courses, our free SDR course, the Ultimate Beginner's Guide to Software Defined Radio will get you started with SDRs in an afternoon. We will show you what hardware and accessories to buy to get started with Software Defined Radio. Then we'll show you the step-by-step how-to to install the drivers, tune your first frequency with SDR Sharp, and then have you monitoring digital at the end of this free course. Our advanced course continues with beginner's course left off and levels up your SDR experience. In this course, you'll learn even more about software-defined radio. We will show you how you can substitute an SDR for your high-end digital scanner, how to monitor HD radio, monitor trunk systems and overhead data with Unitrunker, and even how to monitor all the talk groups on a system and never miss a beat with SDR trunk. You can sign up for both courses at courses.scannerschool.com. Before we start this week's podcast, I'd like to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Patreon is a month-to-month sponsorship platform. We have three different support tiers, each with different benefits. But the most valuable tier is our $5 a month tier. This equates to sponsoring the podcast for about a dollar per episode. Now, not only do our $5 Patreon supporters receive the podcast early, but they also receive a commercial-free version of the podcast delivered directly to their podcast player. Some may say that the included squelchy sticker pack that is mailed to your home is the best benefit of the $5 level, but I think it's the community or the club that is growing at this level. You see, we meet once a month on Zoom, and we have a roundtable discussion about scanning, ask questions, offer advice. Some of the members are answering other people's questions, and we just talk with our fellow scanner school classmates. This is an exclusive group for our $5 Patreon members. Now, again, if all this wasn't enough at that level, you'll also receive discounts to upcoming Scanner School courses and offerings. Now, you can help support Scanner School by going to www.scannerschool.com slash Patreon or www.scannerschool.com slash support. Now, I'd like to thank all of our Patreon supporters at all levels, and they are Arthur Heron, Bill K, Brian King, Buzz Gold, Chris Paris, Craig Harper, Dan, Dave Pasco, David C, Danny Crotty, Ed Walsh, Edward Bramlett, Evan Barkak, Glenn Wright, Greg Johnson, Guy Lee, Jack Haycock, James Braxton, James Felling, James Peruta, Jeff Block, Jeff Chapman, Jenny Taylor, Jim B, Jim Heinrich, John Keel, John Goldenberg, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Les Stevenson, Lynn Smith, Mark Beebe, Mason Kramer, Michael Kroger, Paul Teal, Raymond Hill, Robert, Robert Cancel, Ronnie Box, Sal Marandola, Signals Everywhere, Tim Mazza, Todd Glendi, and William Arcand. Now let's start the podcast. Welcome to The Scanner School, a podcast dedicated to the scanner radio hobby. Class is about to begin. Here is your host, Phil Lichtenberger. Welcome to Scanner School. This podcast is here to teach you everything you need to know about the scanner radio hobby. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and my amateur radio call sign is W2LE. So let's talk today about skip, ducting, propagation, and it's a good time to talk about it, really. We've put off this topic long enough. It's a fun topic. And right here in the Northern Hemisphere, as I'm recording this, right, we are starting summer. Any day now, it's going to officially be summer 
And sorry, guys, in the Southern Hemisphere, listen to this down in Australia, New Zealand, and elsewhere down there. You guys are entering winter, but, uh, you know, in those six months, you'll be able to, to catch up on this as well. Unfortunately, this is a seasonal thing, and we'll break it down in a minute. So let's talk about, again, what makes skip inducting and propagation differences and, and how we can understand this better. And one of them is a podcast episode that we most recently did with Lloyd Van Horn. Now, Lloyd was our guest on session 177 of the podcast. You can go back and listen to that one at scannerschool.com slash session 177. And Lloyd loves to catch and log DX, AM, and FM radio stations. Part of what allows him to do this, a huge part of what allows him to do this, is the seasonal skip and ducting that occurs on that VHF spectrum and also on the long wave spectrum down in AM. Now, for a refresher, let's go through the definitions of the bands, right? What we monitor typically on a scanner radio is VHF and above. So VHF is defined from 30 megahertz to about 300. UHF is defined from 300 to 3 gig. So 300 megahertz to 3 gig. And VHF and UHF typically, on a normal day without any kind of magic that happens, is a line of sight type of transmission. We're not talking about physical line of sight, basically the sight that you can see. We're talking about RF line of sight, right? This is basically not the visual horizon, but the radio horizon. And radio horizon is basically the physical distance at a typical radio wave will travel. And again, as we understand in the radio hobby, the higher the frequency, the shorter the wavelength, right? It's the more power it will take for that signal to travel over distances. So line of sight is the reason why we try to put our antennas as high as possible, right? Because the higher the antenna goes, the more it can see, so to speak, right? So again, this is why many transmitters are located on a high point, such as on a radio tower or on a mountaintop or on a tall building, right? The higher the antenna, the more footprint it has, the longer the radio horizon becomes. Now, besides the line of sight, we have another form of radio propagation, and this is called ground wave. This is where radio waves follow the contour of the Earth. Frequencies best suited for ground wave are below VHF. So we're talking about medium frequency, long frequency, and very long frequency, right? Ranges from like 3 kilohertz up to 3,000 kilohertz. So this means that radio waves will follow the contours of the Earth. And again, this, this includes mountains and ridges. But just like direct mode, there are limitations to the distances that radio signals will travel, right? Because there's attenuation in everything, attenuation in free space and also attenuation on, on ground wave. Eventually, everything runs out of steam, everything runs out of momentum, and radio signals will die off because of the attenuation that's there. Now, there's another form of radio propagation, and this is the really the fun one, the one we want to discuss today. This is called Skywave. And before we go into Skywave, I want to talk about different layers of the ionosphere because you have to kind of understand this before we can understand how Skywave works. So there's a few layers that we are interested in when it comes to the radio hobby, but we got to figure out where the ionosphere is 
for you to figure out just how high up this is. I don't want to give you numbers because we can't relate these numbers in our head because, you know, they're up there. So let's talk about just the layers of the atmosphere or the around the Earth, right? So we have the troposphere. That's the lowest level, right? And this is the one we're most familiar with because when we look up, we see clouds, right? Or we have rain, snow, the sun shines, right? This is basically the layer where weather takes place. That's the troposphere. After that, we have the stratosphere. And then we have the mesosphere, followed by the thermosphere, and then finally by the exosphere, right? you got all these different layers. The ionosphere sits at the top end of the mesosphere through the exosphere. And it's these layers here in the ionosphere that makes for some interesting results when it comes to radio. Radio waves can be absorbed into the ionosphere or reflected back to Earth. Now, there are several layers when it comes to the ionosphere, and we'll break them all down. Talk about how they can enhance radio communications, cause skip, and other ducting on the other side of this break. Now, as a reminder, anyone that is a Patreon supporter at the $3 level or above will not hear this following break. Did you know there are ways to help support the Scanner School podcast that doesn't take any time or any extra money on your part? If you go to scannerschool.com support, you will find we have several ways that you can continue to do your online shopping and help support us. We have links to Amazon. If you click on our link before you go to Amazon, anything you buy from there will help support Scanner School. Now, if you're in a market for a brand new scanner, an antenna, other accessories, we have links to Scanner Master, where you can not only purchase a scanner and accessories, but you can also get your radio programmed. And by clicking on our link before you buy, you are helping to support the podcast. Now, if you're in a market for software, we have links to Butel. And if you want something new to you, we also have links to eBay. Again, just go to scannerschool.com support before you make your purchases, and you are helping to support Scanner School at no additional cost to you. This session of Scanner School is sponsored by East Coast Pagers. Now, East Coast Pagers is one of my online companies, and we are a Unication, Apollo, and Swiss phone dealer serving the North American market. Now, if you're looking for a personal use pager or one for your department, we can get you a quote at the very best prices. So why does a company like East Coast Pagers support Scanner School? I think that every Scanner Radio user should at least put one pager in their collection of radios. The reason why is very simple. It frees up your scanner to just do scanning, and then you have one radio that's dedicated to your local fire activity. Now, with a pager, you can have voice storage. You can do tone outs. You can keep it silent. You can go back the next day and listen to what you've missed overnight. It's more than you can do with an out-of-the-box scanner. And with today's pagers having multiple frequencies and even having multiple channels in a scan list, like the Unication G1 can do eight channels in a scan list. It has 64 memory channels, and out of the box, it comes with 11 minutes of stored voice and a desktop charger. The G2s to G5s, they do P25 Phase 1 and Phase 2 in simulcast environments with stored voice, paging on conventional NP25. Oh, and they're upgradable too to DMR Type 1 and Type 2. They are more rugged than today's consumer-based scanners. And with a pager like a Swiss phone S-Quad, you won't even realize you're wearing one. It'll help keep you informed as to what's going on in your neighborhood. So again, eastcoastpagers.com or contact me directly, phil at eastcoastpagers.com. Do you have a new scanner? You're having problems understanding how it works? Maybe you're new to the entire Home Patrol database of programming and you can't figure out Sentinel. Did you get a new SDR and you're trying to figure out how to install it or you want to learn how to use Unitrunker, DSD+, maybe set up a Pioware or even just 
make some changes and you don't understand how this system and the equipment works, the podcast might be great for you, but maybe you need a little bit more of one-on-one help with setting something up. I'm available to do just that with you with our private tutoring sessions. You can book me online by going to scannerschool.com slash consulting for a one-hour session. And it's great because we can actually share computer screens remotely and I can guide you through step-by-step as if I was sitting right next to you. So again, book me for an hour at scannerschool.com slash consulting for your scanner radio one-on-one tutoring session. National Communications Magazine is your personal library of scanner, CB, GMRS, FRS, MURS, and two-way radio articles written by the best minds in the business over the past three decades. Your NatCom personal online access account allows you to download the newest issues of America's Hobby Radio magazine, as well as back issues too. So visit natcommag.com to download your free sample issues and sign up today. That's natcommag.com for National Communications Magazine. All right, so let's put the different levels in the ionosphere, and they go in order from the lowest to highest, D, E, and F. And before we even get into these three layers, let's run through another definition here because I want to make sure that we kind of understand something here, and we're going to be talking about the maximum usable frequency throughout the definitions of the D, E, and F layer. Now, the, the MUF or the maximum usable frequency is basically the highest frequency that can be used via reflection in the ionosphere. So the maximum usable frequency can change based on the time of day, seasons, and even solar activity. So for example, when we use HF to communicate in amateur radio, we typically call DX, or we we look for distant stations on the 20-meter band. Now, the 20-meter band is in the neighborhood of, say, 14 megahertz. Now, as it gets later in the day and the sun starts to set, we find that 20 megahertz pretty much fizzles out. And it disappears. It gets really quiet. But 7 megahertz, or the 40-meter band, comes alive. So a lot of the DX stations then fall down to 7 megahertz, or the 40-meter band. So one thing we, we look at when we're doing DX on the amateur bands is we look at the gray line. Now, the gray line is basically the point on the Earth where the change is happening from daytime to nighttime, or from nighttime to daytime. Radio waves will propagate with surprising results when you follow the gray line. And it's because the ionization layer is an in-between state, right? Things are kind of breaking apart or coming together depending on where it is, right? When the sun is hitting on it, when things are happening, right? Things are getting excited when they get heated up and they're getting bombarded with the UV from the sun. So let's also take a look at another example, something that we can more relate to if you're not an amateur operator. So AM stations, again, we talked with Lloyd about this back at 177. AM stations have to change their antenna positions or antenna patterns rather or shut off completely at night due to the change in the ionosphere, the way the propagation happens. AM broadcast stations propagate much better during the nighttime than daytime due to the change in the ionosphere. And we're not talking about AM stations as an AM modulation and FM modulation. We're talking about the actual AM broadcast stations. So stations down from, say, like 500 kilohertz all the way up to 1700 kilohertz frequency ranges. It's amazing though, to think about that, though, right? I mean, if if you don't change the way the antenna patterns are, and they do that by turning, right? I don't know if you guys understand this, but AM radio towers, right? They're set up in an array, and in, in the in the, the way that the antennas are put in the ground, 
they change the way that the beam is structured for that frequency. And by turning and routing the RF to different towers, right, they can change the way the beam is formed. So sometimes they have to pull back, right, the towers they're using or change the towers so that they're not overpropagating at night. And again, some frequencies just need to shut down at night because there's no other way to keep them from going out of market. So it's a rather interesting thing. And again, if they didn't do this, you would have just a whole bunch of noise basically on AM because you'd have all these stations that were coming in. So AM DXing is really a fun thing because again, things open up at night and you can pull in some really interesting stations. But the same thing happens though for FM broadcast stations as well. Again, those are more into the VHF range. Now, again, if you remember watching over the air TV when it was, you know, the old analog days, and the same holds true for digital times, but many more of us now have satellite service at cable TV, but back when a lot more of us had analog over the air TV channels, when the bands would open up, you'd start to notice you were picking up a lot more out of market TV channels. Like here in Long Island, we would start picking up Connecticut channels or even channels that were down into the Pittsburgh or the Philadelphia area. We'd start picking up those stations as well all over the air, especially in the summertime. And again, these are all practical examples of what happens when the bands start to open and the magic starts to begin. So again, back to the layers, D, E, and F. Now that we've kind of given you some mental picture of what's happening here, the D, E, and F layers will change throughout the day. And each one of these changes brings a change to the maximal usable frequency. So again, the D layer is the lowest layer in the ionosphere. And the D layer becomes active during the daytime. It's an easy way to remember it, right? D layer daytime. And it disappears for the most part at night once the sun has set. The D layer will absorb HF frequencies and frequencies below that spectrum. So figure they would give a take, right, 30 megahertz or lower. So, again, that's why things work pretty well in the 20-meter the range. Again, you look at 14 megahertz, right? And depending on how strong the D layer is or how weak the D layer is will indicate the different types of propagation. The next layer up is the E layer. Now, the E layer is present all the time. It, it doesn't change via the – basically, it's there. It's, it's daytime or nighttime. It's always there. The E layer will only reflect frequencies that are around or say lower than 10 megahertz and absorb everything that's higher than that. So during the daytime though, the E layer will split into two, forming the D layer and the E layer. Now above the D and E layers, you have the F layer. Now the F layer is broken down to F1 and F2 with the F2 layer being always present. So at nighttime, you have a single layer, the F2 layer, but during the daytime, the F2 layer will split, or the F layer splits into the F1, F2 layer, okay? HF signals typically bounce off the F layers and reflect back to Earth. This is the last chance for signals to come back to Earth. This layer is the layer that is responsible for intercontinental transmissions and communications in the HF spectrum. So again, thinking about RF crossing the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans or crossing the poles, right? This is the layer that gives us the best distance when it comes to HF and lower. So we've covered different frequencies and different layers, but if you notice, we've been talking about HF, right? Which layers then are responsible for 
bringing VHF and UHF back down to earth, right? Seems like everything right now is either reflecting HF or absorbing anything else, right? Well, this is where we get fun, right? This is this is the this is it what you're looking for right here. This is what we called e skip or the ES layer or sporadic E. The sporadic E kind of pops up unexpectedly and can disappear just as fast and without warning. But while it is present, it makes radio and even scanning a lot of fun. This is because this is where the magic area is where VHF can propagate unexpectedly, right? It's it's the it's at that time that these frequencies can be reflected back down to earth. So a typical time frame when this occurs is this time of year in the northern hemisphere. So about mid-June and then petering out till about early August, right? In the southern hemisphere, your time of year is six months from now, right? When your summer is starting. So around December or Christmas time is when you'd expect to start seeing sporadic E happening. So E-skip happens when the radio waves are reflected back to Earth by the unusually ionized atmospheric gases in the lower E level. Now, what also makes this very unique and, and pretty cool is you can get multi-hop out of this. This is when a signal not only bounces off and is reflected back by the ES layer, but is bounced back from the Earth, back up to the ES layer, bounced back to Earth. And these hops can happen multiple times. Sometimes they happen once. Sometimes you just get an E-skip where your signal hits the, the E layer, right? It hits that ionized area in the ES layer and comes back down to Earth. That's E-skip. But you got multi-hop where, it, you know, like I said, it goes from you to the E-skip, back down, up to E-skip, back down, and you can get distances from hundreds of miles of kilometers to just about a thousand miles of kilometers off of this. It's a lot of fun. It really is a lot of fun. So I also don't want you to get confused with tropospheric ducting because this is another phenomenon that can really be exciting in the radio world. Tropospheric ducting, as the name kind of applies, happens in the troposphere, right? And again, this is the lower level, right? And this is where weather happens. So weather plays a part on this type of ducting or the propagation. Tropospheric ducting normally is seen during the warm summer months and into early fall. Right around the same time, right? We got e-skip. We don't want to get these confused here. Ducting, though, happens when the surface layer of the Earth warms or cools at different rates than the upper air, typically, again, during sunrise or sunset. This causes a temperature inversion that happens, and this inversion allows frequencies to be refracted back down to Earth beyond the horizon or before the horizon. So, Again, days with a very strong, stable, high-pressure air mass with very little winds or no clouds in the sky can help with the tropospheric ducting condition because then you got radiation cooling or warming happening faster at the different levels here. Another indication of this would be fog forming during a high-pressure event, right? Because again, the top layer of fog as it burns off is warmer than the surface layer of the Earth. So... These frequency inversions that normally don't happen, right? Because normally you think of things cooling closer to the top and warming up slower at the bottom, but when they happen in, in backwards, it causes this phenomenon. Okay, so how can you tell if 
skip or ducting is occurring. First of all, search around, right? Listen to your scanner, put it in search mode and or and or put in some distant stations that you normally typically can't hear. Maybe that are just outside your search range. For example, I know somebody that just told me the other day that he was monitoring a trunk system that is at the very east end of Long Island. Normally, you have to be out in the east end to hear this trunk system. So for where him and I are, we're not hearing it. We're not hearing it at all, right? It's 800 megahertz P25. It is non-existent out here. Well, when the band opened up on him, he sent me a message and said, hey, I was using my portable antenna, listening to the East Hampton P25 trunk system, clear as a bell. I was listening to all the calls for a couple hours, and then it was gone. Not even needing an outdoor antenna. He can't pick it up now with his outdoor antenna. But with his portable antenna, when everything opened up for him, boom, it worked. And it's just like Lloyd said back on episode 177. Anybody can do FM radio, broadcast radio, DXing because all you need is the antenna on your radio. Any antenna will work fine. Exactly the point that was proven here. If you have your FM radio in your car, you start noticing that maybe your local station is fighting for dominance on your FM dial because there's another station that's coming in from outside the market. That's also somehow you can tell that there's a band opening. Other ways you can find that too, it happens a lot on the amateur radio world. And I've noticed at early mornings in the summertime, I'll hear stations from several states away talking on a local repeater, and they are able to hold a quick QSO or conversation with the locals here because of the way that the ducting is happening, right? Now, again, sometimes you'll be listening to your local repeater, and then stations start talking that aren't part of your conversation. Now, again... They have no idea they're coming in because they may have a different PL code in their in their radio or they're only listening to their local repeater, but they have no idea that they're getting into another VHF or UHF repeater. It's a really fun time of year to pick up some distant stations and to listen beyond basically your RF horizon. So let's look at a couple of websites here. We can figure out how we know that there is a band opening or activity we can listen to. The first website I like to look at is called aprs.monolink.org. Again, that's aprs.monolink.org. So again, that's aprs, Alpha Papa Romeo Sierra dot monolink, Mary, Oscar, November, November, Oscar, Lima, India, November, Kilo dot org, O-R-G. Now, I like this website because it's in the VHF band. And what it's doing is it's looking at Amateur Radio APRS, or Amateur Positioning Reporting System. And Amateur or Automated, I, I forget, it's been a while since I've actually looked at the acronym for APRS. But the point of APRS, it's a beaconing system, right? And it operates on 144.39 megahertz. And every time you send a packet out of data, you're sending not only your call sign, but you're also sending out your coordinates. So whether you're a station at home broadcasting out your home station or you're a weather station, or you might be even mobile or portable sending out your, be- you know, beaconing your coordinates, this all goes out on the APRS network. Now, if you're able to see somebody at a certain distance away, all of a sudden it sends out a flag, right, that, oh, the band might be opening, or somebody else can hear you. 
the Monolink's website basically crawls the distant stations and will then figure out if there's a band opening that's happening. And based on the distance, we'll actually give a thematic map on not only the direction, but also the distances based on color that you can see or you can expect to see some ducting going on there. So I like this site because it's autonomous. There's no human intervention required. It just crawls the data and spits it out on a website. It's going to work, right? It's going to be there. Another website I look at is called dxmaps.com. Now, again, this also operates basically looking at information from amateur radio operators. But unlike the Monolink site, this site requires human intervention in order for it to have valid user data. Users must submit their DX spots into the website in order for it to actually show up. Now, the nice thing to know about the DX Maps website is the fact that not only does it have VHF, but it does UHF and medium and low wave as well. It also will show you the different forms of propagation. So whether it be e-skipped, tropospheric ducting, meteor scatter, airplane scatter. I mean, there's different kinds of propagation models that are out there. And DX Maps will actually show you the differences between all those. So again, I know this was a very technical backing podcast. I tried my best to speak slowly and carefully about everything. Part of the problem of doing podcasts is if I make a mistake while speaking and giving information that I don't catch it while I am talking, it's solidified in the podcast episode. So Again, if you've caught me saying the wrong thing, just let me know. Unfortunately, I can't go back and correct it, but at least we can call it out in the session notes. So again, this was one of those conversations and topics that was very scientific, very data-driven, and um, not really a lot of fun ways to talk about it. So I apologize for uh, for being a little bit dry on the topic. But this is a fun time of year to talk about this kind of stuff, right? This is this is the time of year when the, the, the magic happens, basically, here in the Northern Hemisphere. And again, for you guys down in New Zealand and Australia and whatnot, unfortunately, you got to wait six more months for this again to happen. But for those of us up here in the Northern Hemisphere, give it a try. It's a lot, lot of fun. And the best way to do it, again, is check out those websites or put in some distant stations in your scanner that you kind of know are just outside of reach and see if they start popping in. And again, you can always do some searches. Just look at your FM radio broadcast band as well and see if that shows up. So again, let me know how I did. Leave me a comment on our website at scannerschool.com, session 182, to leave it directly in the show notes. You can also reply to our Twitter broadcast on this episode or our Facebook posts or even on our YouTube channel where the podcasts are also showing up. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, do me a favor, please subscribe to the podcast or share this episode with somebody that you know that could use a little bit of help understanding how propagation works. I know I was a little bit rusty on it, and I had to go through a couple hours through uh, some homework to try and make it as simple as possible to explain it. I know I brushed over a lot of stuff, but at the same time, too, I got to make it work for a podcast, right? I can't I can't bore you guys to death either. So with that, I want to say thank you very much for tuning in to another podcast episode. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and this is Scanner School. We teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. 73.